Section 6 of A Treatise of Bread and Breadmaking. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by Tatiana Chichilla. A Treatise on Bread and Breadmaking by Sylvester Graham. Preparation of Bread. Mixing. Much kneading necessary. Rising or fermentation. Use of alkalis, saleratus, and soda. Baking. Ovens. Alcohol and bread. Preservation of bread. Now then, the business of the bread maker is to take the wheat meal prepared in the manner I have stated, and with all the properties I have described, and convert it into good, light, sweet, well-baked bread, with the least possible change in those properties, so that the bread, when done, will present to the senses of smell and taste all of the delicious flavor and delicate sweetness which pure organs perceive in the meal of good new wheat, just taken from the ear and ground, or chewed without grinding, and it should be so baked that it will, as a general statement, require and secure a full exercise of the teeth in mastication. In order to do this, as we have seen, it is necessary in the first place that the wheat should be of the best kind, and well cleansed, and the meal properly prepared. In the next place, it is necessary that the yeast should be fresh, lively, and sweet. And in the third place, it is necessary that the dough should be properly mixed, raised, and baked. Take, then, such a quantity of meal in a perfectly clean and sweet bread trough as is necessary for the quantity of bread desired, and having made a hollow in the center, Turn in as much yeast as a judgment matured by sound experience shall deem requisite. Then add such a quantity of water, milk and water, or clear milk, as is necessary to form the meal into a dough of proper consistency. Some prefer bread mixed with water alone, others prefer that which is mixed with milk and water, and others think that bread mixed with good milk is much richer and better, while others dislike the animal odor and taste of bread mixed with milk. Perhaps the very best and most wholesome bread is that which is mixed with pure soft water, when such bread is made perfect but whether water, milk and water, or milk alone is employed, it should be used at a temperature of about blood heat. Here let it be understood that the starch of the meal is of such a nature that, by a delicate process peculiar to itself, it becomes changed into sugar or saccharine matter, and when the fluid used in mixing the dough is of a proper temperature, and the dough is properly mixed and kneaded, this process, to some small extent, takes place, and a small portion of the starch is actually converted into sugar, and thereby increases the sweetness of the bread. Let it also be recollected here that the saccharine matter on which the yeast is to act is equally diffused throughout the whole mass of the meal, and therefore if the yeast be not properly diffused throughout the whole mass, but is unequally distributed, so that an undue quantity of it remains in one part, while other parts receive little or none, then the fermentation will go on very rapidly in some parts of the mass, and soon run into the acetous state, while in other parts it will proceed very slowly or not at all, and consequently large cavities will be formed in some parts of the dough, while other parts of it will remain as compact and heavy as when first mixed, and sometimes even more so. I need not say that such dough cannot be made into good bread, yet it is probably true that more than nine-tenths of the bread consumed in this country is more or less of this character. Nor, after what I have said, should it seem necessary for me to remark that good bread cannot be made by merely stirring the meal, and yeast and water or milk together into a thin dough or sponge, and suffering it to ferment with little or no working or kneading. Bread made in this manner, if it is not full of cavities large enough for a mouse to burrow in, surrounded by parts as solid as lead, is almost invariably full of cells of the size of large peas and grapes, and the substance of the bread has a shining, glutinous appearance, and if the bread is not sour, it is because pearlash or some other kind of alkali has been used to destroy the acid. The very appearance of such bread is forbidding, and shows at a glance that it has not been properly mixed, that the yeast has acted unequally on different portions of the meal, and that the fermentation has not been of the right kind. 
but if the yeast be so diffused throughout the whole mass, as that a suitable portion of it will act on each and every particle of the saccharine matter at the same time, and if the dough be of such a consistency and temperature as not to admit of too rapid a fermentation, then each minute portion of saccharine matter throughout the whole mass will, in the process of fermentation, produce its little volume of air, which will form its little cell, about the size of a pin's head and smaller, and this will take place so nearly at the same time in every part of the dough that the whole will be raised and made as light as a sponge, before the acetous fermentation takes place in any part. And then, if it be properly molded and baked, it will make the most beautiful and delicious bread, perfectly light and sweet, without the use of any alkali, and with all the gluten and nearly all of the starch of the meal remaining unchanged by fermentation. Proper materials, proper care, a due amount of labor, a suitable length of time, and proper temperature are all, therefore, necessary to the making of good bread. With your meal and yeast and water or milk brought together before you, then, proceed in the light of the instruction you have now received to mix your dough, and remember that the more thoroughly you knead it, the more equally you diffuse the yeast throughout the whole mass, and bring it to act on every particle of the saccharine matter at the same time, and the whiter, lighter, and more delicious you make your bread. Who that can look back thirty or forty years to those blessed days of New England's prosperity and happiness, when our good mothers used to make the family bread, but can well remember how long and how patiently those excellent matrons stood over their bread troughs, kneading and molding their dough, and who with such recollections cannot also well remember the delicious bread that these mothers used invariably to set before them. There was a natural sweetness and richness in it which made it always desirable, and which we cannot now vividly recollect, without feeling a strong desire to partake again of such bread as our mothers made for us in the days of our childhood. Let it be borne in mind, then, that without a very thorough kneading of the dough, there can be no just ground of confidence that the bread will be good. It should be kneaded, says one of much experience in this matter, till it becomes flaky. Indeed, I am confident that our loaf bread would be greatly improved in all its qualities if the dough were, for a considerable time, subjected to the operations of the machine which the bakers call the break, used in making crackers and sea bread. The wheat meal, and especially if it is ground coarsely, swells considerably in the dough, and therefore the dough should not at first be made quite so stiff as that made of superfine flour, and when it is raised, if it is found too soft to mold well, let a little more meal be added. When the dough has been properly mixed and thoroughly kneaded, cover it over with a clean napkin or towel, and a light woolen blanket kept for the purpose, and place the bread trough where the temperature will be kept at about 60 degrees Fahrenheit, or about summer heat, and there let it remain till the dough becomes light. But as it is impossible to regulate the quantity and quality of your yeast, the moisture and temperature of your dough, and several other conditions and circumstances, so as to secure at all times precisely the same results in the same time, it is therefore necessary that careful attention should be given that the proper moment should be seized to work over and mold the dough into the loaf and get it into the oven, just at the time when it is as light as it can be made by the venous fermentation and before the acetous fermentation commences. If, however, by any means there should unfortunately be a little acidity in the dough, take a small quantity of saleratus, or what is better, carbonate of soda, and dissolve it in some warm water, and carefully work in just enough to neutralize the acid. The best bread makers are so exceedingly careful on this point that they dip their fingers into the solution of saleratus or soda, and thrust them into the dough in every part as they work it over, so as to be sure that they get in just enough to neutralize the acid, and not a particle more. I must here repeat that they who would have the very best of bread must always consider it a cause of regret that there should be any necessity to use alkali, because the acetous fermentation cannot in any degree take place, without commensurately and irremediably impairing the quality of the bread. And here it should be remarked that dough made of wheat meal will take on the acetous fermentation or become sour, sooner than that made of fine flour. This is probably owing principally to the mucilage contained in the bran, which runs into the acetous fermentation sooner than starch. 
While the dough is rising, preparation should be made for baking it. Some bake their bread in a brick oven, some in a stove, some in a reflector, and some in a baking kettle. In all these ways, very good bread may be baked, but the baking kettle is decidedly the most objectionable. Probably there is no better and more certain way of baking bread well than in the use of the brick oven. Good bread makers, accustomed to brick ovens, can always manage them with a very great de degree of certainty. And as a general fact, bread is sweeter, baked in this way, than in any other. Yet, when it is well baked in tin reflectors, it is certainly very fine, and so it is also when well baked in iron stoves. But the baking of bread requires almost as much care and judgment as any process of bread making. If the oven is too hot, the bread will burn on the outside before it is done in the center. If it is too cold, the bread will be heavy, raw, and sour. If the heat is much greater from below than from above, the bottom of the loaf will burn before the top is done. Or if the heat is much greater from above than from below, the top of the loaf will burn before the bottom is done. All these points, therefore, must be carefully attended to, and no small excuse ought to be considered a satisfactory apology for sour, heavy, raw, or burnt bread, for it is hardly possible to conceive of an absolute necessity for such results, and the cases are extremely rare in which they are not the offspring of downright and culpable carelessness. The best bread makers I have ever known watch over their bread troughs while their dough is rising, and over their ovens while it is baking, with about as much care and attention as a mother watches over the cradle of her sick child. Dough made of wheat meal requires a hotter oven than that made of fine flour, and it needs to remain in the oven longer. Indeed, it is a general fault of bread of every description made in this country that it is not sufficiently baked. Multitudes get their bread hot and smoking from the oven in a half-cooked state, and very few seem to think there is any impropriety in doing so. But they who would have their bread good, not only a few hours after it comes from the oven, but as long as it can be kept, must see that it is thoroughly baked. I have said that the process of vinous fermentation converts a portion of the saccharine matter of the meal into carbonic acid, gas, or air, by which means the dough is raised and is made light, and that the same process converts a portion of the saccharine matter into alcohol. The alcohol thus generated is mostly, if not entirely, driven off by the heat of the oven when the dough is baking, and in modern times ovens have been so constructed in England as to serve the double purpose of ovens and stills, so that while the bread is baking the alcohol is distilled off and condensed, and saved for the various uses of arts and manufacture. The question has, however, been frequently started, whether a portion of the alcohol thus generated is not contained in the bread when it comes from the oven. This question cannot be answered with entire certainty, but there are some facts in relation to it of considerable importance. It is perfectly certain that if two portions of wheat meal or flour be taken from the same barrel or sack, and one portion be made into unleavened bread, and the other portion be made into the very best fermented or raised bread, and both be eaten as soon as they are baked, the fermented bread will digest with more difficulty, and depress and disturb the stomach more than the unleavened bread. Indeed, it is well known and very generally understood that few of the articles which compose the food of man in civic life are so trying to the human stomach, and so powerful causes of dyspepsia, as fresh-baked raised bread. It is now well known also that alcohol wholly resists the action of the solvent fluid in the stomach, and is entirely indigestible, and always retards the digestion of those substances which contain it. How far all this may be true of carbonic acid gas is not yet ascertained, but it is difficult to account for the difference between leavened and unleavened bread, as above stated, without supposing that the alcohol or carbonic acid gas, or both of them, are in some degree concerned in rendering the leavened bread, when newly baked, peculiarly oppressive and injurious to the stomach. This, be it remembered, is purely a conjecture of my own, and I am not entirely certain that it is correct, but I see no other way of meeting the difficulty. Be it as it may, however, it is very certain that when the bread has been drawn from the oven and permitted to stand in a proper place twenty-four hours, either by evaporation or some other means, it becomes perfectly matured, and so changed in character, that it is, if properly made, one of the most wholesome articles entering into the diet of man. 
and at that age there is not the slightest reason to believe that a particle of alcohol remains in the bread. When, therefore, the bread is thoroughly baked, let it be taken from the oven and placed on a perfectly clean and sweet shelf, in a perfectly clean and well-ventilated pantry. Do not, as you value the character of your bread, put it into a pantry where you set away dishes of cold meat, cold potatoes, and other vegetables, and keep your butter, cheese, and various other table provisions, in a pantry which perhaps is seldom thoroughly cleansed with hot water and soap, and where the pure air of heaven seldom, if ever, has free circulation. The quality of your bread should be of too much importance to allow of such reprehensible carelessness, not to say sluttishness. And if you will have your bread, such as every one ought to desire to have it, you must pay the strictest attention to the cleanliness and sweetness of the place where you keep it. If in baking the outer crust should become a little too dry and crispy, you can easily remedy this by throwing a clean bread or tablecloth over it for a short time when it first comes from the oven. But if this is not necessary, let the bread stand on an airy shelf till it becomes perfectly cool, and when it is twenty-four hours old, it is fit for use. And if it is in all respects properly made and properly kept, it will continue to be sweet and delicious bread for two or even three weeks, except perhaps in very hot and sultry weather. When we have acquired the art of making such bread as I have described in the very best manner, then we have carried the art of cooking to the very height of perfection, for it is not only true that there is no other artificially prepared article in human diet of so much importance as bread, but it is also true that there is no other preparation in the whole round of cooking which requires so much care and attention and experience and skill and wisdom. End of section 16.